0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School.
1: This is Work and Life on Business Radio.
0: Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. It's a conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life that's your family, community, our society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. You can find out about the work that I'm doing these days by going to totalleadership.org. There's videos, free chapters for my books, all kinds of interesting things there for you to learn from and communicate with me and others about. Uh, my latest book is called Parents Who Lead. And it takes the total leadership ideas and applies them to, well, the art of parenting. So I hope you get a chance to check that out. New episodes of our show, Work and Life, premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on SiriusXM channel 132. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Let me ask a question here. Did you ever envy... Someone who was able to work from home maybe thinking thinking how, how relaxing and how fun that could be. I'm going to take a wild guess now and say, hmm, now we've got, perhaps you have a slightly different view on this issue right now. Thanks to a pandemic that has many of us quarantined at home with children, pets, partners, whoever else is in your home unit, it's different now like uh, many of the people I'm talking with these days, students, clients, guests on the show, today's guest uh, was, was booked before we were sheltering in place, but his, his book actually contains many ideas that are quite relevant for the world we now find ourselves in. So I am delighted to welcome Bruce Daisley to the program. Bruce is European vice president of Twitter. He's based in London. And his new book is called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job. Bruce, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Thank you so much for welcoming me. Well, uh, let me just tell listeners a bit about uh, you before we jump into our conversation. Bruce joined Twitter in 2012, having previously run YouTube UK at Google. He has also worked in the magazine publishing and radio industries. So he's an insider. Um, I'm going to be very eager to get his take on what we're doing here. Maybe he can upgrade our performance and delivery. Uh, He he got his first break by mailing a cartoon resume of his life to prospective employers. I haven't seen that yet, Bruce. Uh, And now I'm sure listeners are going to be very curious about that. Bruce's passion for improving work led him to creating the podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, which became a number one smash in the UK, also hitting the top 10, the business top 10 in the United States. Bruce, so glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks. Good good to speak to you. Well, um, we we planned on having you on the show uh, before the worldwide pandemic wreaked havoc, not only on the world's health, but also on... You know our our economies, and on a more micro level, on on families, on households, and the entire issue of how we each think about how we navigate work-family relationships, working at home, everything's different now for so many of us. Uh, so before we you know dive into the wonderful evidence-based you know, tips that you've got in your book. Uh, which we'll cover some of in our conversation. I I just wanted to ask you about what you've been able to glean uh, in your conversations over these last couple of weeks, month or so uh, from your, you know, from, from the, from the pandemic world that we are in now, what are the most prominent ideas from your book that are uh, directly relevant to the, to the new world order that we are all trying to navigate?
1: Well, I think a lot of us are presented with having to scratch below the surface and, and be more honest about the state of work than we were ever in when we were in offices. So sometimes I, I, I'm sort of confronted. I, I occasionally say to myself that work's the lie we tell ourselves. And by that, I mean that uh, effectively, the average American spends 16 hours a, m- a week in meetings, so two full days a week mm-hmm. in meetings. And I think all of us, if we were candid, would say that we're playing we're paying partial attention in those situations, even if we're prohibited from using devices. Wait, what did you say? Exactly, so, right. Wait, you're I'm, looking at your phone. I, exactly. Wait, what? What? <laughs> and it, that's exactly the what? situation what? that we're we find ourselves stop, 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 stop. <laughs> we find ourselves in this continuous partial attention mm-hmm. and um it actually adds to our sense of agitation our sense of anxiety mm-hmm. we go home at the end of the day work is already filled with guilt but we go home feel, feeling even guiltier we haven't got back to those 200 emails that we send or receive every day we spend all this time in meetings and the think. One of the things that we're now being presented with is maybe we need to just take a stock, take stock of those, those 16 hours a week of meetings, and ask ourselves very intentionally what what are we aiming to achieve? Because quite often you can do, um, and you'll you'll know this as well as me, too, But you can do a survey of workers, and uh, you can you can survey people, and you can say which meetings are good meetings and which meeting are bad meetings. Generally the meetings that people are responsible for they say are good meetings and the people the meetings that people attend they say are bad meetings so broadly we've got this bias that if we own it we think it's good because mm-hmm. we're talking and if other people own it we think it's bad and it's a reflection more that more often than not that we've used meetings as a as a way to just get hold of people when they're inaccessible we say you know I don't know if I'll need to talk to you next Tuesday or next week, but if I hold time on your calendar, if I do need to talk to you, there you are, and as a consequence of that, it's sort of it's expanded to fill the space available. Now, a lot of us mm-hmm. are sitting here now thinking that was exhausting enough, but at least I had a little tour around the the workspace. I would go onto the third floor, I'd go onto the second floor, mm-hmm. I'd find myself getting a coffee on the fourth floor. You you find yourself sort of having this office excursion.
0: There's some, when you movement, do- some adventure, some uh, some new environments that you're exactly refresh your brain and uh, at least keep you stimulated in a in a different way than uh, just sitting at this and staring at, at a screen in the same space all we were, day.
1: Exactly that. We were the conquistadors of the office. We were we were exploring and seeing new things. Now, when mm-hmm. you're making all of those Zoom calls from either the home office or your kitchen table, or, you know, if you're a younger worker, maybe sitting on your bed, then we, we don't have that. And I think a lot of us are being, being presented with the opportunity here to think, should we be doing fewer of these
0: mm-hmm.
1: presenteeism, uh, fewer of these things where <laughs> the main objective is just to show our face? Mm-hmm, and we, should be we be more honest about what work actually is? And I so think that's think, th-
0: well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Please finish with that.
1: And I think that's the fundamental question for a lot of us. If you're fortunate enough to make subway sandwiches or to clean streets or to assemble cars, then at the end of the day, you've seen the the fruits of your work. But a lot of us who do knowledge work, it's very difficult for us to perceive, have we done something today? Mm -hmm. And it's why, to some extent, we've defaulted to these units of thinking, well, I saw someone working hard. They were frowning at their desk at 7 p.m. when I left. So they must be a good worker. And I think to, to some extent, what this disruption that we're witnessing right now is forcing us to do, is forcing us to think a bit more intentionally. What am I doing?
0: Mm. So you think there, that there's a, one potential silver lining in this madness that we are Suffering now is that people will have greater uh, insight or courage to reveal the the, the, the the wastefulness of some of the some of their work experience
1: yeah it's really interesting it, to some extent in this the old thing in music, in art, and drama, is to, to look at the sort of mini subcultures that are bubbling under, because mm-hmm. they often give you a, <laughs> a perspective of where we're going. And the, one of the things I've been really intrigued about is mm-hmm. hearing the companies who don't have offices Uh, Mm -hmm. and hearing their exploration. And so the first time I encountered a company where they hired people without ever having met them face to face, Mm -hmm. I I just, I immediately jerked backwards. I thought this was lunacy. This was, this was like, this is like marrying someone without meeting them in in their physical presence. Really, it's not quite the same, but okay, keep going. It, it, you can recognise it's on that it's on that scale. Whether it's act as as sort of heinous as that, I don't know. But it's it's such a strange thing. Yeah. So it's, it's like choosing a roommate. It's like doing something you just want to be. We we return to these little heuristics. We want to see someone in presentative sure. flesh, and uh, and so I was really no. astonished.
0: You wanna you know, for the full three dimensional, you know, picture of who this person is and what it's like to be with them.
1: Yeah, there's something visceral there, right? You're exactly right. The smell, the sort of the presence of them. Anyway, so I've been really intrigued to see what we can learn from these companies. Yeah, and what you you discover is that they very quickly talk about how you need to stop doing some of these things that are just about showing that the light is on, that Mm -hmm. someone is nominally busy. Uh, you need to abandon those things there was a really fascinating bit of work that gives us a pointer on this by a a professor at Yale and uh, a professor at Yale wanted to know how long his mathematical you you might be aware of this work, he wanted to know how long his mathematical assignments were taking for his his students and so he asked them to log the amount of time and he was presented with the fact that it took uh, took the the fastest students a tenth of the time that it took the, the less able students but Mm. the amount of time spent had no correlation with the quality of the work and so we're presented with this fact that just some of us work quicker than others Mm. and and what we often do with work is we say well you know if that worker could do all his day's work in three hours four hours we should make sure that that worker is busy for eight nine ten and it's almost like we we because we can't always see the output of someone's work. We, we just put them through this almost um, this prison-like sentence that you need to do your time.
0: Yeah. Let me re- remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. And I'm your host, Stu Friedman. So glad you're listening. My guest in this hour is Bruce Daisley, who's the author of the wonderful new book. It's called Eat, Sleep, Work. Repeat. 30 Hacks... For bringing joy to your job, and we're talking about um, Bruce's uh, take on well, what's what's been wrong with our culture of uh, an over over investment or attention to work time and and not so much the results of our efforts, and I'm curious to know, Bruce, how you see the the pandemic experience of so much of a, some, so much of, of knowledge work now being done from the home environment, how this creates an opportunity perhaps, uh, for a re a reassessment and, uh, change in, in how, well, starting with managers, how, how managers can, well, manage more intelligently, perhaps with respect mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, a greater emphasis on results and less reliance on, you know, the, uh, the, the picture, the lie, as you, as you call it, of the ideal worker being someone who is grimacing at her desk into the wee hours.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things pre- probably that this, this un- unwilling experiment has taught us yes. is that, you know, be careful what you wish for. That, you know, while some of us may be feeling, oh, okay, fewer interruptions is allowing me to get more done. Mm -hmm. We're actually, you know, no one right now, in the same way that very few people right now are thinking, wonderful, that's what I wanted, an opportunity to cook more food for myself. We're we're missing restaurants. And uh, a lot of us are, are thinking about the workplace, thinking, yeah, even the introverts amongst us are thinking, you know, I kind of want to be amongst people. I kind of want Mm to experience the energy that comes from, from being in those workspaces and Uh, a
0: little less lasagna, perhaps, (laughs) but go go on, please continue.
1: (laughs) So, um, so I think, you know, we're in a situation right now where firstly it's, it's clearly not a totally um, fair opportunity to, to measure the merits of Mm -hmm. remote work versus, versus uh, office band work. You know, a lot of us have got distractions or um or children or pets or all manner of things demanding our attention
0: like that piano Um, to your right bruce exactly that probably compels your attention on a regular basis am i right
1: (laughs) it's sometimes you have to put some things in front of you to to present the vision of where you're headed in life um (laughs) it will get used All right. I'm Um, glad to hear that. No. So uh, I was really intrigued. So uh, here's my journey. I set about, I was working at Twitter and, and, you know, a lot of us, if we don't work in tech firms, we often look at the stories we hear emanating from technology companies and we think, oh, wow, that's, that seems like an easy version of life that you see. Images of people on beanbags or people cascading through buildings on slides, and we think, "Wow, you know, that seems like a a luxury. That seems like a, a first class carriage uh, of, of work." And actually, what I discovered when I was I worked in a, a series of tech firms, I discovered that quite often tech firms don't have all of the answers mm-hmm. on making work more satisfying, more enjoyable. But along the way, we'd made the uh, the office that I worked in. Very high performing, and and it seemed to have an incredibly engaged culture. Then, somewhere along the way, about three or four years ago, something went wrong. And I'll, I'll sort of attribute this to a personal misstep as one of the people responsible for the office. Uh, something went wrong, and we saw a lot of people leaving. And I found myself thinking, mm. "What can en- anyone do to make our workplaces more enjoyable?" And this is this goes from. I used to work as a server in restaurants. I used have mm. worked in all manner of places, and there's something about the energy of certain workplaces. You start your first night of service in certain restaurants, and you say you know, I think I'm going to enjoy it here. And so I was fascinated. What is that will-o'-the-wisp? What is that sort of energy that Mm -hmm. seems to create good workplaces? And one of the things along the way that I was really enchanted with was the power of laughter, the power of teams forging human connections. And so that's what I'll say right now, potentially, we might be missing what you discover, whether it's combat soldiers, whether it's firefighters, whether it's, you know, you or I working in an office job, Often, when we reflect on our favorite times in a in mm. a, a favorite job, it's not necessarily in isolation. Us thinking about clinching that big deal or, yeah. or us doing that that big innovation, we re- recollect on a time that yes, we did those things, but we laughed
0: heartily at the end of every week. We, we were humans together, trying right. to get something done in collaboration. So, as as you think about the the hacks that you wrote about uh, in in uh, Eat, sleep, work, repeat. Which are which are the ones starting with the recharge set, mm. uh, which I, we're probably going to get the most attention to uh, in this conversation? Which of the which of those um, really kind of speaks most? Uh, cogently to to our present moment in your view.
1: Yeah. Well I I started a book and it's effectively a sort of a handbook on office culture. And I started the book with these these 12 personal interventions. And it was largely because had we wound the calendar back a year, the thing that everyone was talking about last year was was workforce burnout. Mm-hmm. This this sense of people feeling overwhelmed with with everything that life was throwing at us. If only we'd known the curveball that we we're about to be yeah. served. Mm-hmm. Um, but so one of the things I became fascinated with was how how can you create a better workforce dynamic? How can you create a, a winning team when all of your players are exhausted? And so it became a curiosity for me. Okay, are there any things that can improve our burnout and our, our exhaustion? And what you discover very quickly is that our relationship with our devices can be wonderful and and you know liberating but our, our relationship with our devices is one of the challenges so you know one of the easiest things for any of us to do and maybe now is a good time to do it is to turn our notifications off on our phone mm-hmm. and what you discover is the the average uh, american worker is is working two hours a day longer now than they were 20 years ago and in fact, uh, I saw one report suggesting that we've increased our working days even further during the lockdown. So we're wow. presented with this fact that because work is now ubiquitous, it's, yeah. it can follow us everywhere. Inescapable. D- that's right. We defend-
0: unless you shut
1: it off, but right. And here's, well, here's the strange thing. The, the, the guy at Carnegie Mellon University who did this piece of research, he wanted to recruit enough people to turn off their notifications on their device for a, de- for a week. He couldn't get enough people to do it. And uh, it faced, presented with the idea that the research would have to be abandoned, he decided to ask people to turn their notifications off for one day. Two years later... He went back out of curiosity and revisited all of the subjects. And half of them still had their notifications turned off. So it's this remarkable thing that we can't yeah. believe this tiny little... It, I had it, it for one day and they were hooked? They were hooked in not being hooked. Yes. And so here's the, here's the strange thing that I think through that you can witness mm-hmm. that we can make these tiny incremental changes that almost seem too trivial to tell someone about. You know the other another one I talk about that i 'm very fond of. let me just
0: hang on. I want to dig a little further onto that one because uh you know it's it 's perhaps a a different environment now that we find ourselves in with respect to being able to shut mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. Uh, the notifications or not I, in, in other words is it is it different? Does it make it easier or more or or in some ways more difficult to be creating you know those boundaries of uh you know when you get pinged uh when you are working from home yeah very much
1: so i think one of the challenges that we've got now is that um you know the perennial question used to be you know, the the first question if you were hitting someone up on email or on chat or whatever it was first question used to be are you there well we know the answer right now we, you know that we know the answers there and so if there's an expectation that you will be available then uh, inevitably it means that we need to remain vigilant we need to be looking out for those messages mm-hmm. um one thing i saw pre-lockdown was that the uh, if your boss expects you to be connected to your device then on average on average we're working a 70 hour week of connectivity so you can expect that, that that has very possibly gone up during this sort of strange situation
0: we're in. Because of your relative access to, I mean, you, the fact that you're presumed to be accessible at any That's time. Right. So right. what, what advice do you have then for how to, how to negotiate those boundaries so that it is, Uh, seen as a good thing perhaps by your boss maybe by your kids your spouse or others who are in need of your attention for for why it's a good idea for them to not have that same level of expectation that they might have what what advice do you have on on how to manage those boundaries the the interesting thing is that when we've looked into
1: uh renegotiating these boundaries yes it seems that the boundaries and work yields yields far more than we think there was some work done by a researcher called leslie perlow and leslie perlow went into she she wanted to go into uh, a working environment where the separation between work life and home life was was It it was imperceptible. Effectively, um, home life was working. And so she went into management consultancies and she started asking them to renegotiate their relationship with their device. Mm -hmm. So her first intervention was she asked them as a team to commit to have at least one night a week where they didn't touch their email. They didn't Mm -hmm. log into it. And it was a team exercise. So if, if Stu logged in on Monday and that was his time off, Then the whole team failed their exercise what you discovered very quickly is that two things happened firstly it facilitated far better team cooperation because you'd say uh listen i'm going out to dinner tonight so can it be my night off and so consequently there was a degree of sharing but in addition uh, everyone who went through the exercise reported at the end of it they'd fallen in love with their job a bit more again their, their enthusiasm for their job was actually enhanced by them taking a step away from it. Anyone who's got children might recognize that sometimes that can be the case.
0: Well, they had more control uh, yeah. over their experience and a greater sense of shared responsibility for helping the other members of their team. And she wrote about that in the wonderful book, Sleeping With Your Smartphone, uh, and uh, that's, that's a great resource, Leslie Perlow. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. glad you brought that into our conversation, Bruce. So uh, let's see, we, you brought up children, and I want to spend some time talking about that, uh, you know, how you negotiate the boundaries at home as well, but especially with young children. It's, it's a lot harder to talk to them about why you're not available uh, if they don't have real grasp of that so i'm wondering if if any of the the recharge or or perhaps the um, the sync or buzz category of hacks that you've that you've developed and articulated in this compelling book can be useful in, in you know for working parents as they're trying to figure out how to be attentive to their work and to their family while there is no boundary physically between them so Let's get to that when we come back from our break. We've got to just take a a minute here to step away, Uh, but don't go away, folks. When we come back, I'll be continuing my conversation with Bruce Daisley about his new book. It's called "Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life
1: on Business Radio.
0: Welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and our leadership program. My guest today is Bruce Daisley, who's the European Vice President of Twitter, and we're talking about his new book, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job, and we're talking about how that book helps us to navigate the strange new world of pandemic time. So Bruce, we were saying before the break about negotiating boundaries and, uh, ways to do that while you are, uh, experiencing a life that has no physical boundaries. Uh, what, what insights derive from, uh, eat, sleep, work, repeat that, that people would find helpful in thinking about how to, uh, well, work with the people in your home unit mm. so that they they feel respected while you're not paying attention to them.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I, for this, I mean, inevitably, it's a question that's presenting itself to a lot of us right now. And of course, yeah. there's not a simple answer. Um, we we can't we can't simply please everyone. I think that one of the things that we can learn from those who are veterans of remote working is that the more compartmentalization we're able to do, mm-hmm. the more we're able to find an equilibrium. So mm-hmm. that might be that it's very easy when your home becomes the place you work and the, the place you live to think, oh, I'll just open my laptop and, and maybe clear my inbox while I'm sitting on the sofa. And the people who appear to to get the best out of this uh, Long term are the ones who resolutely choose not to do that. You know, there they, there's some people who do remote working who are who are really clear that you need to start your day with a shower and a change of clothes. And a, and while that would have inevitably be a norm for people working in offices, maybe it's not a habit that people are others are in uh, uh, incorporating now. And it seems like these.
0: When was the last time you took a shower? Let's I showered it.
1: this morning. As did on
0: everyone. <laughs> I'm sure you're very happy to hear that. Sorry, please continue.
1: Yeah. So, um, And so I think this will help children understand if you've got, yeah. and maybe you're not fortunate enough to have a home office, but if you've got a space that you work from mm. and a space that you're ready to play or um, or these, these certain times of day that it's clear that you are on, and there's certain times of day that it's clear that you're off. I think it helps other people understand it. But most most definitely, if you're in a house with very young children or pets, don't expect them to always show the same degree of understanding.
0: <laughs> you can't tell your dog, hey, I'm sitting at my desk now. That means we're not going for a walk. Don't you understand that? <laughs> no, it's harder. It's yeah. harder. But, but having a rhythm, uh, if you can you know create one i know is useful but, but your point also is to have a specific space if possible defined by you know the work that you do or the the things that you attend to because we know that if if it seems like you're kind of sort of should be available to me as as you know as your child uh, then and you're not like you're physically present, but psychologically absent, and it's not clear why it's all too easy for children to attribute your lack of attention to their doing something wrong (laughs) Or, or just, or just that they don't matter. Well, absolutely. You'll, be, you'll probably be
1: aware that since the age of the smartphone, one of the challenges of newborn babies is that they are often confused by their mums no longer holding their eye contact. So, you know, and their mirror neurons that are, are sort of developed yeah. from the empathy that comes back from, from facial mirroring um, has been recognised to be damaged by mums sort of staring into their smartphones and dads staring into their smartphones. Yes. So definitely... Uh, the, those around us who maybe are in the formative stages of their life will find this harder to understand than those of us who are uh,
0: more veteran. It's so important to uh, to keep that idea in mind. And as you said at the outset, it, it doesn't take radical change to be attentive to these kinds of adjustments uh that even small steps like turning off notifications which i recently did for twitter i have to say no notifications from twitter i check in eh, twice a day on my lab, on my on my desktop and that is perfectly sufficient for me you okay but- with that bruce Absolutely. Look, you know, the critical thing is making
1: sure you know specifically what role something is performing in your life. And look, there, there may well be. I find social media full stop entertains me. I, I choose on Instagram. I only follow graffiti artists and architects and musicians and on Twitter. I tend to follow people who make me laugh. And so I know specifically I use them almost as chewing gum for when I'm tired however there might be okay. other people who use them as you know they used to connect with sports and now obviously sports have been abolished Ugh. but you know we, we but just knowing why you do something as long as you know why you do it it's 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 uh, more likely to be a healthy relationship
0: Hmm. so what what role let's stay on this if we can for just a moment further and then i want to ask about how teams can function well in, you know, in, in remote life. Uh, what role does Twitter play in the world these days? Uh, is it different now over this last month or so as we've, as we've you know, experienced sheltering in place for so many of us?
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of uh, people, Twitter is a, a news feed. And yeah. so, you know, it's a place where maybe you've curated the 200 accounts that most inform you. So yeah. I remember meeting a professor at an event. And he said to me, Twitter is the live chat room of people in my field. He said, I'm a professor of autism. He said, there's 51 experts at my level in the field. Mm-hmm. And we talk to each other all day. Mm-hmm. And so effectively, it was a chat room. It's an open chat room that we can all eavesdrop in. But uh-huh. It's a chat room of people uh, informing themselves about their area of interest. Obviously, there's a lot of us who use Twitter to connect with sports or with, uh, with entertainment, but it's, it's a place to curate the things that you're specifically interested in. So to contrast that, you tend to get less photographs of people's children. You get fewer photographs of people's children. You get fewer photographs of people's weddings because it's a, a space about
0: information rather than yeah. about relationships. And, and is it different now? does it serve a different purpose now or is it pretty much the same? Is, is Twitter, you know, unaffected in some ways by, you know, because it is all digital, obviously, yeah. uh, by, you know, where, where we live and work?
1: I, I think, you know, to some extent, what we've ended up with, with all the apps on our phone, mm-hmm. there's almost reductively one, a one-word reason why you open them. And so, you, you know, you, you open each app. No, Facebook is friends and you know you open it each each app and with an intention maps is clear we we you know instagram we want to see glamorous photographs we want to sort of see the the, the razzle dazzle of someone's life and twitter really is sort of news it's sort of what's happening and that might be what's happening just specifically that's relevant for you um or it might be what's happening you know in the thing that you've you've like in in that Professor said to me, so it's about news. It's about, but very relevant news to you. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. one of the challenges that apps have had in the past is yeah. when they're not clear on one specific thing, they they tend to get lost in the middle, and mm-hmm. so you know when you're when you're trying a good example for you, but when when a lot of the apps say, a couple of years ago, we're all getting face filters. And you could, these things that you could Snapchat initiated them, you can load the app and it, and it dis, distorts your face and puts a, a smiley on your face. I'm not sure if you've seen these things, Stu. No, I'm okay. too old for this stuff. Ask a friend. But, you know. <laughs> and, and what you realize very quickly is you say, okay, well, I don't see how that would be connected to Twitter. So, so in fact, Twitter didn't do that. Why? Because Twitter's about news. It's not about goofy face filters. So, Having that clarity helped Twitter and the, the whole company um, be more clear in terms of what we were developing, really.
0: Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Twitter Vice President Bruce Daisley from his home in London. Do I have that right, that's right Bruce? That's right. Uh, about his, his new book. It's called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Uh, and it 's filled with wonderful ideas for action, very practical tips based on his experience and research that he 's gleaned from many different sources um, on well just how to how to integrate the different parts of life in a way that makes more sense and bring more joy to your work and your life Now, so many people are trying to collaborate in new in new ways because they 're not together, and a big part of your book is is about syncing up and creating that that delightful uh, you know the buzz of of being together what what are some of the most important ideas that you want to just briefly convey here about how how teams can can take advantage of uh, you know remote work remote life and stay connected and, and 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 really derive the benefits of collaboration even if they are not physically together
1: yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the questions I often got asked, uh, you know, over the last few years, I've been vocal about my interest in workplace culture and improving work and working in a tech firm. People yeah. always say to me, oh, yeah, it's sort of, what's the future of work? What's, you know, what's, what's the big innovation? And the thing that I'm always reminded of is that the future of work isn't about technology, it's about humanity. And that's one of the things that we often eliminate, we forget. There was a wonderful piece of work done by a a sort of pioneer at at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a professor, Sandy Pentland, Alex Pentland, and he instituted a really interesting experiment. He was part of the Media Lab there. The experiment was very much, let's see what happens. It was open-ended. And what they did is they put... um, little tracking devices and listening devices on a lot of people in offices and very quickly they said we're able to tell which is a productive workplace and an unproductive workplace we're able to tell what is a creative workplace and what's an uncreative workplace really interesting sort of what what signals are we giving away by our mere behavior it's like us being watched by ant, like ants what are the what are the things we're giving away what he discovered was that people who um he said emails were accounting about 2% of what got done. Meetings were accounting for about 3%. Face-to-face conversation was accounting for about 70, 37%. Really fascinating. Why is that? Why is, Firstly, why are face-to-face conversations different to meetings? And what what's the difference? And uh, why would they account for so much? And what you discover very quickly is that actually the way that things get done in offices is far more like sort of, uh, in, in improv comedies far more like sort of freeform jazz that i come over to you i chat to you i say just thinking of this and then you see me later by the elevators and you say hey just on that why don't you chat to gary and very quickly ideas get knocked into show. Talk to gary
0: oh bad <laughs>
1: idea bruce <laughs> ideas get knocked into shape yes. by those little tiny interactions
0: well how do we how does that happen now when those interactions are really difficult if not
1: impossible to make happen precisely that so right now when we're sitting thinking we want to recreate work what are we doing we're thinking Well, we do all those meetings and we do all those emails so yeah. i'm recreating work and what you discover is you've eliminated the good stuff you've eliminated right. the dark matter which was the chit chats the the sort of yes. conversational stolen quick so what those? well you need to be clearer about the ways that you try and forge this connectivity this sync between your teams so what you might do is if yes. you're jumping on the zoom again and if you're if you're if you're doing four or five hours of zoom calls a day let the Let the social conversation run for a little bit longer than you normally would. If people are talking about what they watched on Netflix yesterday, you know, let that play out a little bit longer. Allow people to maybe take time to just discuss what they're doing uh, over the, the weekend. I saw something where a newsroom for a major international uh, news, news source yeah. um, shared about three weeks into this situation. They said, we've discovered that our, one of our favorite things of the week is that 11.30 on Monday, we have a call, which is just people join and talk about what they watched over the weekend now Mm -hmm. what you discover is no obviously if you wanted to put that you wouldn't put that in your annual report to stockholders because i suspect people might say what a trivial waste of time but what this does especially for those of us who live alone or those of us who who don't have someone that we want to share those discussions with it gives us a a moment a touch point of connectivity one other example i'll give you yes it was a wonderful piece of work looking at unmarried couples who lived distant relationships. Now you might think, what's this got to do with work?
0: But this it was really you well, I could instruct- think of a lot of ways, but, but <laughs> so go, go, go. But it was really instructive. What's happening one- on that video chat is what I want to know.
1: <laughs> really instructive for what it taught us about how, relationships are built so Uh this was 40,000 unmarried couples and they wanted to see whose relationship stayed together while one of them was in Chicago one of them was it wherever they were what was the reason what they discovered was the couples who stayed together were the ones who phoned each other almost embarrassingly acronistic old technology, they phoned each other every day to talk about the trivialities of life. And I think so often we can sit there thinking, well, I liked their social post and I, I wrote a comment and I wrote them a quick text message. And what you forget, what you eliminate in that is that the magic of what connects us as humans isn't serviced by those those tiny little interactions. Well, there's no <laughs> music,
0: right, in a text. Right. In a, That's in right. A, in a voice-to-voice conversation, there's all kinds of music. And so, therefore, we forget,
1: though, that you know exactly to your point there, the usual metaphor. There's no music in that. And if we eliminate music from our workplace relationships, we will eliminate that music from our connections with colleagues. Then it's no wonder then we start feeling like. This just doesn't feel as fun. This doesn't mm. feel as complete as the teams I used to be in before. No. And so a,
0: I think a cracked old piece of parchment just just withering away into dust. <laughs> right? Precisely. Precisely. So so we, what do we do? We we build in more time for just hanging out and talking about our lives. Uh, I, not not something that the shareholders would want to hear about. I'm well, not so sure. It depends on the company. Some will will be happy, like, yeah, these are human beings here you've yeah. you 've got to have that social glue that connects them what else What else can we do though in, in addition to you know building in and and really cherishing that sacred time to make those human, right. human contacts, other well, thoughts about uh, yeah well firstly, things people can. Um,
1: Firstly, we we need to be reasonable about how many people we can form meaningful relationships Mm. with. We often find ourselves in colossal teams where we barely recognize some of these people on calls. There were people in meeting rooms we didn't know. And we have to be more realistic for most of us to form strong bonds at work. Well, you know, with very strong bonds, it's going to be one, two, three people. Maybe with close bonds, you know, relatively close bonds, it's going to be maybe a few more. And so not trying to build incredibly strong relationships with 100 people, I think is is an important thing. Understanding the limits of our cognitive uh, connectivity. Do you have further
0: thoughts there about with whom? to make those connections because you have to make choices there right
1: yeah that's right and I think most we we tend to find that when you can form a connection with someone who either shares an experience with you it might be a peer or it might be someone who maybe they don't do precisely the same job but you're able to to exchange work related dialogue with each other we we feel less isolated Uh, The the final thing I'll I'll mention, really, is just the power of, uh, I mentioned it previously, but the the power of just laughing with people that we're connected Mm with. And I'll be honest with you, as I was sort of researching how to improve work, it did strike me that laughter was the sort of thing that I was always told by buses was something that we we needed to eliminate. Why is everyone laughing? Why is everyone why is everyone joking around? And so when I set about trying to understand work, I uh, I was a bit reluctant to to be presented with the truth about how things were going. And there's a, there's a wonderful um, really expert in laughter he passed away just at the end of last year a guy called professor robert provine and he he was a wonderful guy he he got into really studying what laughter was and he discovered that um that other animals do it chimpanzees laugh that um we, we can sort of witness rats doing something close to laughing so so it seems like laughter isn't unique to humans. rats laughing rats laughing in fact if you want to go down a youtube black hole if you search rats laughing on youtube you will see professor robert provine tickling some rats and eliciting laughs from them
0: so this is going to change my relationship to rats (laughs) anyway
1: what so but he said he found himself asking what is the cause of laughter and it might seem like a funny thing to say but he, he started off by putting college students in a room together showing them comedy clips And he sat them down and he showed them, I think the time he was doing it, he was showing them Robin William clips Ah. and uh, he sat them down and he, he noticed very quickly something that will become a bit obvious to us in hindsight, but strangers plus comedy does not equal laughter. And that was, a, that, you know, we, we will all recognize that. If someone, if I sat you down in a doctor's waiting room and, and started showing comedy clips, you're probably less likely to laugh than you would with old school buddies or with, you know, maybe a couple of friends that you like to hang out with the weekend. Mm-hmm. And he discovered something that's really critical through that. He realized laughter, the way he said it, is that laughter is a bit like humans' version of birdsong. We do it... The signal that we're connected to the people around us. He went into offices and he observed that we quite often laugh at things at work that aren't funny. I remember um, General Norman Schwarzkopf observed that he's, he'd never been a funny man. But when he was standing in front of all his troops, he said it was like I'd become the greatest comedian of my generation because he would say things that were slightly funny and the audience would all be enveloped with laughter. He'd because all, they were
0: hungry for that, that basic connection, human
1: connection. Connection, connection, absolutely. So yeah. you, you look at that and you go, okay, so firefighters laugh to recit reset their resilience mm. and combat soldiers laugh to sort of to, to overcome stress but most of us laugh to signal connectedness laughter's got this amazing thing now if your working experience right now is you dialing into a whole heap of zoom calls yes and you, th- then you're sitting at your computer doing emails you might feel at the end of the week that the lego bricks that you've built your week with are incredibly productive, and yet, if you've had no laughter, I suspect, as a human being, it feels that all
0: a little bit empty. So, more laughter, and do you do you have any wisdom, Bruce, about? How to be funny on Zoom calls in a way that is different from when you're actually standing next to somebody and you can, you know, yeah, I don't know, wink at them or tickle them in a way. (laughs) Good luck with tickling and winking. Forget, forget those. Yes, but but exactly. So (laughs) how do you? Well,
1: it's it's an interesting thing because Professor Provine was asked exactly that, Uh and he said actually the very fact that we are laughter ready and we build things to be laughter ready can transform them. So here's the thing I'd ask you to think about. If if you're um, if you have a team meeting, do you have five minutes set aside at maybe the end of week meeting, five minutes set aside for a funny story that happened to someone? Do mm. you have something that celebrates a birthday, birthday in the team? Is there a team anniversary that someone's been there a while and you could show an amusing photograph or recount a, a funny situation? And it's just trying to think about how we can build those moments of connection.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Uh, to uh, it might be just like the you're going to show the uh, security photo of everyone from their first day at work. Trivial things that yes. just produce you know a universal sense of sort of slight embarrassment and and amusement. Well, common
0: humanity, right? That's right. So, so we're running out of time here, I'm afraid. Uh, so let me ask you in closing, what's what's the big idea? The most important thing you hope readers will take away. From eat, sleep, work, repeat. I resolutely, I'm convinced that we often. I mean,
1: look, you know, explorations like this are never read by bosses. They're ne- never taught at your your leadership courses. Oh, they so are. Go I- on. <laughs> um and so you know i've i'm reminded back to my uh my recounting times working in restaurants i'm reminded that some of the best times i worked in those places there seemed to be a wonderful culture a wonderful energy that existed despite the boss sometimes that you know we can all contribute we can all be catalysts in making our workplaces more uh more human more 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 enjoyable to be in and so i'd always inspire anyone even if they're not the big boss to to be convinced that they can play a contributing part in changing the energy of their organization of, of of changing the the dynamic of their workplace culture so i'm very convinced that we can all play a part in making work better
0: by bringing more of the humanity to it very much so well, uh, it's, uh, it's perhaps paradoxical that a Twitter vice president is, is speaking in these terms, but uh, I, I get it. And uh, I really appreciate your, your thinking this through, Bruce, and bringing your wisdom uh, to us, both in this conversation and in your wonderful book, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where can mm-hmm. listeners find more about your work, uh, your book? podcast etc
1: yeah it's uh my website is eatsleepworkrepeat.com and you'll find absolutely everything there fantastic bruce davesley thank
0: you so much thank you steve all right and thank you for joining us on the show don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m eastern and if you have a question about something you heard on the show just email me friedman at Wharton.upen.edu. you can also find me on linkedin You can write to us also at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And on Twitter, we are SXM Business. By the way, I'm on Twitter as well. How about that? At Stu Friedman. So check us out there. Also, free uh, podcasts of this show are going to be available in about a week or so on workandlifepodcast.com. Thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins. And thanks to you for listening. I am Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Sirius XM 132.